Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Bjork Unraveled, there are two ways you can support the show. One, you can share it with your friends. And two, you can make a small monthly donation through Anchor or a one-time donation through PayPal. Both links are in the show notes. I'm an independent producer, so every dollar helps me break even on music and transcription software. Just being real here, if 20 of you donated $1 a month, I could cover my monthly expenses and keep the show going. Thanks so much for your support. All right, on to the show. You're listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. I'm your host, Savannah Wright. In 2017, Bjork did an AMA on Reddit, and her most upvoted answer was to a question about privacy. Here's what she said, quote, I like a lot how more known people are allowed to be different in how they communicate with their listeners. Some people want to do selfies, and some write app albums and want to teach children music. Whatever works, right? And I feel overall in life for everyone, if you get to choose how you are generous, you can give the most. And I think over all the years, people in Reykjavik and my fans know that if they respect my personal life and leave me be with my family and friends, I will have more equilibrium and be able to write more songs and give way, way, way more. So it's a win-win situation." Close quote. Björk is a woman of mystery. She gives her fans just enough to satisfy them and withholds just enough to keep them guessing. And those rumors and what-ifs become a part of the Björk lore. Like there's one rumor she did a cover of the Kate Bush song, Moving. Some fans claim there's an alternate version of Utopia that she created with Arca in 2015. And then there's the one about Björk recording a version of Cover Me in a bat cave. That last one is confirmed, by the way. Feast your ears. So we have closure on Björk singing in a bat cave, at least, but there's a long list of unreleased projects we haven't gotten closure on. Just ask superfan Gabriel Lucas. I'm Gabriel Lucas. I'm 23, and I'm from Brazil. Um, I think I hear some birds in the background. Yeah, I'm living in Utopia Island right now. It's a lot of birds, <laughs> a lot of flutes. <laughs> nice, I love it. Gabrielle discovered Björk through her music videos on MTV, but it wasn't until Biophilia came out that he became a fan. That's when he heard Mutual Core for the first time. I started listening to it, I was very intrigued by it because there's like this church organ. And then like when the beat came in, I was like, kind of like a jump scare, remember? And yeah, I was very intrigued by it, and I wanted to listen to more. A few weeks before Christmas, he messaged me on Instagram with a link to this comprehensive spreadsheet he had made. Yeah, it's basically a list of all of our unreleased projects, any song or video, anything that never really saw the light of the day. He started compiling the list after reading a Q&A that Björk did with Dazed. And there was a question that someone asked, 
if she had any unreleased music and she answered no i have no unreleased music i'm a really fierce editor i remember she said that and i remember thinking that's kind of not true <laughs> <laughs> so he made a list of over 60 reasons why that was untrue and if you want to read it yourself you can click the link in the show notes in this episode we'll discuss five of those projects that we never got to hear We'll talk about the glimpses of each that give us an idea of what they may have sounded like. And we'll conclude with the biggest mystery of all, Bjork's next album. And just a disclaimer that we recorded this on January 12th, and we've received more updates from Bjork since then. So I'll add those details as they come up. The first project that we're going to talk about are the unreleased jazz standards that she recorded with Corky Hale. So can you tell me a little bit about what we do know about this one? So Corky Hale is a jazz harpist and Björk and Corky worked on Like Someone in Love on debut and I Remember You, which is a B-side from Venus as a Boy, I think. They went to a studio in Los Angeles before debut was released and they recorded this like jam session. It's like five hours long of just limitations of jazz standard songs and harp. And I think we know about it from an interview with Corky Hale from a book about her life. Um, they recorded a version of Life is Just a Bowl of Cherries by Judy Garland. Life is just a bowl of cherries, so live and laugh at it all. And My Funny Valentine. That's the only two songs we know they recorded together, aside from the songs that are released. Yeah, that's right. So um, we don't really know that much about what they recorded. I mean, if it was for five hours, I'm sure it was a ton. But, yeah. um, and for those of you listening who don't know, Corky Hill, she's accompanied Billie Holiday, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald. So she's the real deal. Yeah. And it's funny to look at kind of uh, to compare how Bjork talked about Corky versus how Corky talked about Bjork because Bjork said, uh, I don't think she quite knew what to make of me because her music was so moving. I kept bursting into tears. And then we know what Corky thought of her because she shared this story um, in Beer, Quow, and Flutter. Uh, she said, Paul called and said, I'm going to bring over a girl from England and she wants to sing jazz with a harp. I said, that's not possible. He sent me a tape and it was pretty weird, I must tell you. <laughs> um, and then Mark Pitelet goes on to say, she planned to politely refuse the offer until her stepson, a Sugar Cubes fan, intervened and implored her to take the gig. Trusting his instinct and figuring she should probably work with more contemporary singers anyway, Hale reluctantly agreed and took the job. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think there is this um, part of Corky's book that she said, like, she went and did the recordings and like she was kind of just worried about the money. She was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> not really caring that much about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she said... Um, 
She was very sweet. She's a darling woman. But she doesn't really know any standards. Even her English didn't seem to be great at the time. I more or less taught her how to do it, and I, of course, thought the recording session was pretty terrible and forgot about it. Yeah, she's, she was shady about it. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's also interesting that we we know that she did My Funny Valentine with Corky because she does have a live recording of this song that she performed in Reykjavik in 1990. So we can play a little bit of that and imagine this vocal performance with a harp arrangement. Let's talk about uh, the second project. Um, so this is the unreleased collaboration she did with Meredith Monk. Can you explain like who Meredith Monk is and then what we know about this collaboration? Um, Meredith Monk, she's a minimalist composer and a singer. And she does this amazing primal kind of music. And she did this album, I think in the 70s, called Dolmen Music. That album is one of Bjork's favorite albums. And 2011, they recorded a two-piece project. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it never really got released to this day. Yeah, how did you find out that there was a project? Because I actually hadn't heard of that. Well, before Vunikura came out, people were speculating that the upcoming record at the time would have that collaboration. I remember thinking, where did that come from? Like, I never heard of that. Mm -hmm. And I only got to look for the source of it, like when I was making the list. Mm, okay. But we do know um, Bjork did a cover of Gotham Lullaby when she was on tour with the Brodsky Quartet. And uh, Meredith Monk recalls hearing that and really liking that cover and liking how Bjork made it her own. And so then they did an interview together with the American Music Center in 2005. And I'll play a little clip of that. That thing of the body and the voice um, not being separated was something that was really, very important to me. I felt that that really the voice could jump and it could spin and it could it could be articulated like, like a, a hand or a spine. And and um, that it was a very, very physical instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard for me to be that conscious about it. I, I, I guess what I usually go back to is maybe just Iceland. I, I don't know, maybe it's a cheap way to explain it, but sort of both being sort of brought up in a, in a town where you've got like nature there and, and, and a city I don't know if to use the word holistic, but it's kind of the whole, to unite the, the two is, is very important. Yeah, I think I've heard that interview. Yeah, it's so cool to hear their processes, like how they work creatively, because um, it's actually pretty similar. They really emphasize the voice. But we also know that this isn't the end of their collaborations. There's actually going to be a film that Björk is producing. Can you talk to me about that? Well, this is, there is this documentary being made at this moment, and Birak is the one of the executive producers of this film, and it's a documentary about 
Meredith's life and Meredith's work. And I think it's kind of funny because I don't remember Björk being a producer of a movie ever. So I think it's kind of like an odd coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's great that they're going to make a documentary about her because she definitely deserves it. Like, we need to know more about her. <laughs> yeah, she's underrated. Totally. So we don't know, like, anything about this project, right? We don't know what songs they performed or how they collaborated. Um, but what do you think it might have sounded like? Like, what is your best prediction? I think it's kind of long form. And I think most of Meredith's music, it's very minimal. There's like this one motif that kind of repeats over and over. And it's kind of like improvisational too, like improvising on top of this like melody. I think that's how I picture it. Yeah, I was thinking of something similar because so if this project took place in 2011, we know that Meredith Monk did release an album that year with Songs of Ascension. So mm -hmm. we could maybe guess it would have been in a similar vein to that, like these yeah, minimal pieces, like glacial strings. I would agree that it would probably have some sort of, yeah, vocal interaction, because that's what we would want, right? We would want to hear them, like... Right? Like two vocal powerhouses working together. Yeah. And I know they both have done, like, pretty visceral vocal songs, too. Like, we have Björk's Medulla, and then, like, with Meredith Monk, she's also done some, like, guttural cries, you know, like, really, like, from the whole... using her whole body. So I would love to hear a song that's just that, like, just, like, acapella, them interacting. Yeah, kind of like Ancestors. Yeah, maybe. Kind of vibe. Yeah, I could, I could hear that. Hopefully they do something together in the future and they actually release it because I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I hope it comes out around the time that the documentary comes out. Oh. That would be really cool. Yeah, that's a good point. So the next project we're going to talk about is Biophilia Part 2. Um, can you tell me what we know about this one? This one is like really vague. Um, Biak basically said, oh, I wanted Biophilia to be a double album, but obviously we never heard this second volume. Uh, some people think, because she worked for a long time um, during Biophilia, like the project changed a lot. Uh, it was like originally a project with National Geographic and then it changed into a movie that was going to be directed by Michel Gondry, who directed a lot of Björk's videos. And then the project changed to an art house, and like each song would be a room. Right. And then it became the apps. So I think she has enough material of like unused stuff for a second volume. I think that's kind of like my theory. Yeah, I mean, now that you mention all the different variations of biophilia that she had worked on that makes sense that there would be some unreleased material can you talk about the rumor about adam dance yeah there's this theory that adam dance was made during it's part of this biophilia part two 
I think because this song kind of touches in this scientific kind of background. Also, the song is in 5-4. It's like an unusual time signature and Biophilia used a lot of these unusual time signatures. And it was co-written by the same poet that co-wrote Thunderbolt. Staring at water's edge, cold frost. So people speculate that it was written kind of the same writing session. Yeah. You know, Adam Dance is all pretty much all pizzicato strings, which like these plucked strings. And I think it's kind of made to mimic the plinking sound of the Celeste, or in this case, the uh, Gainerlest, mm. which is a bespoke instrument from Biophilia. So yeah, we don't know that much, but I do like the idea that Adam Dance was part of that biophilia part too, because like you said, it really does fit the sound and the concept of biophilia. Like you said, with the 5-4 meter, it's also inspired by Sufi poems and then the Vikivaki, the Scandinavian circular dance. And then, of course, Adam Dance being, you know, talking about the parts of an atom in, uh, rotating. So it, it really has all those layers that fits biophilia, but we just, we don't know what the others might have been. Yeah. And I think we may never know, which is kind of sad. Yeah. We do know that if she had a sequel to biophilia, she would have been working on it around 2011 and 2013, but then Vulnicora came out. So I almost wonder if it's like, she had all these ideas that she still wanted to explore, but then the unraveling of her relationship with Matthew Barney kind of took over her mind. She, she had to like work through that. Yeah, I think that was the case because after Biophilia was released, she mentioned a couple of times that she wanted to make more music for Biophilia, like add more songs into the app. So I think she might have been working on it, but then yeah. kind of like changed plans. If she still has those like philosophical or conceptual ideas, I would love for another album that's kind of like that because I think it's so brilliant. So the next project we're going to talk about is the History of Touches music video. Uh, could you tell me what we know about this? This one is one of my favorites. Basically, there's the VR app for Vunicora, and back in 2016, she posted a couple screenshots of the menu of the app. And in the menu, there's like this kind of blobs, and each blob is like a song from the app. And there's the colored blob would be uh, like available video, and a gray blob would be a video that's still in the workings. And that was a blog for History of Touches in gray, which means it was kind of work in progress at the time. I wake you up in the middle of the night. Mm, so yeah, something that maybe she planned on, but then never 
finished. Um, and then you also mentioned there was talks about a certain director doing a video. Can you tell me more? That's the coolest part. It was supposed to be directed by Chris Cunningham, which is the director of All is Full of Love video, which is like mind-blowing for me that they work together for like 15 years. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, All is Full of Love is like one of the best videos ever. I'm kind of biased, but... Oh, I agree. It's iconic. And yeah, just the thought of them working together just so intriguing for me. Yeah. I mean, we don't actually know if Chris Cunningham was the director, but let's just pretend he was. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, like, what you think this video might have looked like. If it's a VR video, do you think it might have included the Bjork avatar that was in all the other ones? Or do you think it was like an interactive live video, kind of like Stone Milker? What do you think? I think it would be kind of like Stone Milker, in my opinion. Okay. When I listen to the song, I always think of that library scene from the movie Interstellar when uh, Matthew McConaughey's character is like wandering through his memories and it's all like glitchy. That's why I picture in my mind. Every single archive compressed into a Yeah, I would love to see that. That would be really cool. Um, personally, I think the video, just because Chris Cunningham likes to experiment with technology, I feel like it would have included the Bjork avatar. I would have loved for there to be kind of a revisiting of that cyberpunk world they created and all is full of love. So yeah. maybe not robots, but I'm imagining a lot of black and white because that's how a lot of his other music videos look. Yeah, I think I forgot to mention, we know that Chris Cunningham... It's like a speculated name for the video because like a couple media outlets talked about it, like Billboard, I remember talking about it. And they talked about the Not Get video directed by Warren Dupree's and Nick Thornton Jones. After our love ended, your arms don't carry so they got one right, so I guess the other one was actually in the works. So that's how we know about it. Hmm. Dang. I wonder if it was one of those things where it's like they created it and then, or they filmed it and then they didn't like the way it looked in post or whatever, and then they just scrapped it. Yeah. Or maybe like because the project was so ambitious. Yeah. And she had like a small team. Maybe it was like a scheduling conflicts and they never really finished it. That's very plausible, yeah. So the next one is uh, the Tenores de Biti collaboration. Can you tell me about who they are and what we know about this? Tenores de Biti is like a, a group uh, from Sardinia, Italia, and it's like four tenors how that's how you call mm -hmm. it like the bass voice yeah yeah so there's four tenors and they kind of have this it's just vocal music and they have this like vocal dynamic in their music yeah. 
we know about the project because a couple Italian like media outlets talked about it. There's one specific that interviewed one of the members of Tenores de Vitti, and he talked about that they recorded a song together and they even recorded a video in a desecrated church. I think it was very special that the project that she even recorded a video for it. Yeah. And then there was one other hint that she was in Sardinia, right? Yeah. There was this article by Jefferson Hack. I think he's like the owner of Days Magazine or something. And right. they, it was like a mail exchange between them two. And the first email she said like, oh, sorry for the late reply. There's not a lot of Wi-Fi in Sardinia. And the conversation happened in 2015. Oh, okay. So that's how we know that she was like actually in Italy. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like when you look at the the actual article where the um, where Tenoris DBT talks about working with her, there's a quote: "We were contacted last year by Bjork's manager, and we enthusiastically accepted to be part of the new album out." A very nice thing is that in the video, we will be next to artists who range from one continent to another. We hope to make Sardinian sounds and our traditions go far, close quote. So that almost suggests like an alternate version of Utopia with artists from around the world. Like I had never known about that. Yeah, and it's like Tenoris the Beat is the only one we know, which is like what could have been the other artists? Like it's hard to tell, but... I think because this is the more the most recent one in the list, and there's this rumor of her going to Tunisia recording with this musician called Dafer Youssef. So maybe it was like an ongoing project, and the collaboration with Tenoris de Bitti was just the first one she recorded. It was like a separate thing from Utopia. Oh yeah, that's my theory about it. But yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah, that could be really interesting to have like a world project where she just does a bunch of different collaborations. I'd be very into that. <laughs> That's kind of like Volta too. Yeah. Right? Because Volta, she worked like Tumani Yabate from Mali and Michelle Fan from China, I believe. I will see the same girl, same soul. So it's kind of like a Volta throwback. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. And because Volta is like her, quote, most hated album, kind of, by her fans, and she's kind of revisiting it, it's kind of like taking the piece of her fans, kind of. Yeah, I think she maybe she's doubling down and being like, no, this is a good album. Honestly, I've been re-listening to Volta lately, and I love it still. So, you know, haters going to hate. Yeah, it's underrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we do have from that period too is she did um, a mix mag playlist before Utopia was released and she included a song by Tenoris DBT. Another thing is that it's kind of like unconfirmed because she never really talked about it. It was only the musicians, the Tenoris de Bitti, who talked about it. So it's kind of like we don't really like 100% sure that it happened. 
but I think it happened. Yeah, no, me too. I don't think they would say that Bjork's manager contacted them. I think maybe Bjork is not wanting to talk about it because she doesn't know what she's going to do with that like tape that they recorded. But I think they're just like so jazzed that they got to do something with her, which I mean, I would be the same way. I'd be telling everyone. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of like run out of their mouths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to say about this one? No, I think we should talk about the big one. Okay, yeah, let's talk about the new album. So do you want to talk about uh, what we know so far? Yeah, I have like a little list of the things she talked about it, about the new record. It's not a lot, but this is what I know. In late 2018, she said to another magazine, quote, I have the, my first project of the year, heading to my cabin to meet some work collaborators for a three-day improv. Hmm. And then in August 2019, for Time Out Mexico, she said, quote, for my next album, I haven't planned anything, but I'm secure I'll end up using some recordings of sonic objects I found. And then the, mo the most recent one, she talked about in the Icelandic radio, quote, I recently started listening to beats that move around like a virus, sort of still standing, but yet making quick moves at the same time. In my new album, I definitely went up in beats. One song is very chill in the first half, very calm and cozy, like everyone in COVID having comfort at home. Then when there's one minute left of the, left of the song, it turns into a club. So, end quote. That's all we know. She also mentioned in that interview that the songs are around 80 to 90 beats per minute, which is like her, her traditional way of doing things. It's the speed that she walks at. So... We don't really know when it will be released, though, right? We thought it might be May because there was an announcement that she was doing an ex exhibition at the, forgive my poor French, uh, Centre Pompidou Metz. But then that was canceled. So we don't really know what month it'll be. Do you have any uh, predictions on that? Yeah, the timeline's kind of confusing because we have Cornucopia at the end of this month, January yeah. and February, too. And then we have the Northman release in April. And I assume she might have like a promo tour kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So like the first half of the year is kind of like packed for her. And I can't really see her releasing an album in the midst of like two overlapping eras, you know? Right, yeah. So I think it's got to be by the uh, second half of the year, in my guess. On January 19th, in an interview with the Mercury News, Björk gave us another hint about when the new album will drop. Quote, it depends on the speed of publishing in 2022. It's sort of out of my hands, but I would say summer. That's a rough estimate. But we don't really know like what uh, section of the orchestra she'll focus on. Like we know there is beats, but mm -hmm. with Volney Courage, she had a lot of strings and Utopia was flutes. Like, what do you think this will sound like? What are your guesses? I have my own guess, which she never really worked with keyboards a lot. Mm -hmm. Like maybe prepare piano, or she has like a couple songs, or like harpsichord. It's not something that she focused like the whole album on. Yeah, I was thinking about that too the other day, how she doesn't really have any keyboards in her, or piano in her songs. So that would be interesting to have more. And I also think that she's gonna do a bunch of collaborators this time. I don't think it's just gonna be Arca like she did with the last two records. 
Yeah, do you have any like pipe dream, like something you really wish for? You know it's not going to happen, but you still like wish for it. It happens in the new album. Um, that's a really good question. Um, hmm, I wish I had thought about this. Uh, do you have one in mind? Yeah, I have two. One would be like a duet with Kalela. Because they both like appreciate each other's music, and I like I'm a diehard fan of Kalela, so like they, my both faves collabing, I would like die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have this, there's this one producer, his name is SD Laika, and Bia played some of his stuff in like DJ DJ sets. But it's kind of like, you know, he doesn't release music since 2017. So, you know, I wish Bia could take him out of retirement, but <laughs> I think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, um, I would love to hear her maybe collaborate. And this is an artist that um, another listener brought up to me or, or introduced me to, uh, Sev Delizo. That would be interesting to hear them do something together. I know that might be a little bit more poppy for Bjork, but I think it could be fun, especially if she's like doing more of these like club kind of songs. Uh -huh. I think I have my own like fantasy of her going like full experimental. Oh, really? Where, yeah, and that's kind of like contrary. Like all of her fans are like, oh, she's going too experimental. She's too like self-indulgent. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, yeah, no, bring it on. I'm all like... <laughs> crazy <laughs> i i think it's going to be like long like utopia like over an hour long. Mm, i hope so yeah yeah it's like it's been five years like she has to you know compensate for it yeah so those are kind of like on our wish list but i think what we can say is that when they did do that uh centre pompidou announcement they said it was inspired by natural phenomena and so it probably will be nature focused again, maybe like homogenic. I don't know. I would guess that during 2020, she spent a lot of time in nature because you couldn't go anywhere that year. <laughs> and, you know, she said it was calm and chill and then like a club song. So it makes me think of Hyper Ballad that she performed uh, for Volta Tour, uh -huh. uh, where it was like, you know, kind of like slow and building and then it just like drops into a club song. <laughs> so that's like the closest comparison I can think of. When I think of calm songs with like the beat at the end, I think of Crystalline and it's, it's about nature. So it's maybe it's like a nod to Biophilia. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, the other one I thought of that was like chill and then a club is like Mutual Core, which you mentioned in the beginning. <laughs> Your 
And I feel like there will also be some love songs on there because things seem to be going well with Alex Jello, who she is uh, dating apparently. So yeah, she still has it. <laughs> but yeah, love songs for sure. COVID love songs. COVID love songs. <laughs> Um, either like sheltering with the person or wanting to be with the person, but you can't because you have to isolate. I wanted to ask, why do you think Mystery excites Bjork's fans? Like why you think she teases her projects? I think she herself is like a mysterious person. Like her music, even like her as a person, she has that veil around her and I think her music's not something that you understand from the get-go. You wanna like take your time and listen to it to like maybe understand it. Yeah. So I think that probably applies to a lot of Bjork fans. They're kind of like magnetized by that, you know, secrecy around her. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's almost like each album is kind of a puzzle that you have to unlock and it takes you Maybe it takes you a month. Maybe it takes you a couple years. Like, it really has um, a complexity to it that is fun to to figure out. And I also wanted to ask you, why does Bjork's music matter to you personally? Like, why do you love it so much? Well, I kind of like grew as a person listening to her and like delving into her body of work. So, and she opened my eyes to so many things, like new music art even like in life i think i wouldn't be the same person now if i uh, haven't become a fan of her and you know i always been kind of like the odd one now and seeing her being herself so you know fearlessly kind of inspires me to be my own true self too yeah i love that so thank you so much gabrielle for sharing your list i'll be sure to share that in the notes so other people can look at it and see all the amazing research you've done (laughs) and yeah thanks for sharing your thoughts thank you thanks for having me a huge thank you to gabriel lucas for coming on the show you can see his comprehensive list of unreleased bjork projects by clicking the link in the show notes you can also follow him on Instagram at G-A-B underscore L-U-C. Bjork recently took her immersive cornucopia experience to Los Angeles and San Francisco. And lucky for me, I got to go. So in the next episode, I'll recap my experience and explore all of the amazing details that went into this show. The sets, the visuals, the custom instruments, and the costumes. Together, we'll uncover what Bjork theater really means. You've been listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. Bjork Unraveled is produced independently by me, Savannah Wright. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend and submit a review on whatever podcast app you're using. And consider donating to the show. There are two links in the show notes where you can make a monthly or a one-time donation. I'm an independent producer, so every dollar will go towards music, software, and equipment. With your help, I can continue the show. This episode is brought to you by Enrico Topo, Damarada Yen, Frank Hassenstab, John Wario Rosa, Bridget Wright, James Wright, Troy Tate, Laura Tate, Anthony Rodriguez, Kinga Miklos, Eli Wright, Simon Mejia Moreno, 
and Tammy McLeod. I care for you, care for you. If you have an idea for a future episode, tell me about it. You can find me on Instagram at BjorkUnraveled or email me at BjorkUnraveled at gmail.com. I'm Savannah Wright. Thanks for listening.